Merry Christmas. Welcome, everybody. I'm Pastor Bruce. Welcome to all of you here this morning. I know others will be coming in today, uh, getting over their cinnamon roll hangovers and all the other goodies that are out there, right? All right, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, we're here to celebrate our risen Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and to enjoy the company that God has brought together today. We also have a service tonight at 7 o'clock, and welcome to all of you online as well. We pray that the Holy Spirit really touches all of our hearts today. We thought it'd be great to begin uh, with a word of prayer, and then when, I'm, when I've offered the prayer, I want us all to stand up and greet one another and say Merry Christmas and introduce your name. And I thought it'd be kind of fun, since Bethlehem is in the foreground here, um, we thought maybe it'd be fun if you also wanted to share where you were born. How about that for a change, all right? Can you remember? Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this morning. It's so wonderful to be in your house today. Thank you, Father, for the Advent season where we celebrate the coming of our, our Savior Jesus, our Savior Lord, the one who leads us, inspires us, gives us the meaning of life, purpose in life, hope, and community. Thank you so much for all that you've done for us and all that you're going to do. Lord, we're here to worship you and to give you thanks and praise today. Thank you, Father, that you sent your Son to save us and to show us who you are so well and so wonderfully. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand up. Let's take some time. Move around. Say hi. Introduce yourselves. Merry Christmas and maybe where you were born.
Good morning, everybody. I suppose we should probably sing. I was born in Tacoma, Washington, just so you know. Next on the first Noel, a lot of times we don't sing it a whole lot because there are six verses. But you can't skip a verse because it tells the whole story of, of Jesus. So here we go. Thank you. 
prayer. Heavenly Father, it's a privilege to sing and praise your name. Lord God in the highest, excelsius, almighty God, in the very highest of all. You are glorious, you are wonderful, you are loving, you're merciful, gracious, compassionate, very present, very active. You created everything, and in you, Lord God, we find everything, everything good and right and true. And God, we thank you that the light has shined in the darkness, that Christ came, born in a manger in Bethlehem, just as the prophets told. And Lord God, we thank you that Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and was buried and rose again from the grave that gives the assurance of our eternal life through faith, faith in what Christ has done for us. Thank you for that wonderful gift of life, the gift of the forgiveness of our sins, to be declared right by you, a gift we can't return. We don't need to. It's a free gift. Thank you, Father, for taking care of us, for loving us, for providing everything we need. The future is in your hands eternal life, a new heaven, a new earth to come. And we're grateful that Jesus is with us right now, right here. And ask now that your Holy Spirit fill every heart with your love and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I'd like to invite our candle lighters up. Uh, can I borrow yours? First John 4, 7 through 11. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, uh, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let us pray. Dear loving Father, thank you for sending us Jesus Christ. We know it was by your unconditional love for the world that you sent him to save us from our sins. You have restored our ability to love as you have loved us. You have inspired us to unconditionally love even our enemies because you loved us before we loved you. Help us to love you and our neighbor showing and telling others the good news of Jesus. May every heart be filled with the love of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. amen. Oh. <laughs> I'm Candy Shade. Uh, I'm also the director of the Tower Bell Choir. And I'm Tamara Van Houten. Mm -hmm. And she's one of my ringers. <laughs> Let's stand again and let's sing a what child is this, one of my favorite carols.
Please be seated. I'd like to invite the kids and anybody that wants to be a kid to come on up here to join me on the very top. We're going to watch a video from Bolivia by Compassion International. It's the nativity story done in a Bolivian way. Um, so we're going to enjoy that together. Come on up. And while they're on their way, just a couple of quick announcements. Uh, the Christmas offering this year will be distributed equally amongst... Why don't you come up way to the top here? We're going to, we're going to look this way. Way up here, come clear up to the very tippy top, right up here on the flat spot, because it's hard to turn around on the stairs. You're young enough, you can crane your necks and look up, right? Okay, that's a good view right there, all right. Um, we'll wait another second. So anyway, the Christmas offering, you can just mark Christmas offering on it and put it in the box in the back there so we'll know it's going to go out to our missionaries, both domestic and international. And uh, they're always surprised every year by the fact that we thought of them and gifted them a special offering, and they all, all appreciate it so very, very much. So if you'd like to do that, we encourage you to participate. So come on up, and then we're going to watch children tell us the Christmas story of the birth of Jesus. They're in a country called Bolivia. They're way up in the mountains, and they dress the way they do, but their culture. And this young girl and boy are going to show us what they did and what it was all about. So let's watch. My name is Maria, and I have lived in Nazareth my entire life. 
I love weaving, roasting corn, and spending time with Jose. The other night, an angel appeared to me. I was terrified. The angel told me I was going to have a son given by the Holy Spirit. To be honest, that was a big shock. How am I supposed to have a son when Jose and I are not even married? I needed some time to pray and think about this. God gave me peace in my heart, but I thought Jose might be upset. I told him, and as I expected, he was overwhelmed. I mean, this is pretty big news. Can you imagine your fiancé having God's baby? Fortunately, an angel also visited Jose. Jose listened and agreed we would get married. Yeah. Cesar, our main leader, decided we all needed to be counted from the town where we were born. So Jose and I had to travel to Bethlehem. Baby Jesus kept growing in my tummy, which made the journey less enjoyable. Me and the baby almost fell into the lake while trying to balance. I was amazed when we finally got to Bethlehem. I have never seen a place with so many people at once. Jose tried and tried to find a room for us to stay, but every room was full. A kind hotel worker offered us to stay in a barn with all the animals. The smell reminded me of my latrine back in Nazareth. I kept wondering how God could allow his son to be born in that place. Seriously, that smell. The angel forgot to tell me that giving birth is very hard. After my baby was born, I wrapped him in our baga blankets and placed him where the animals eat. It was hard to believe that this baby would be the Prince of Peace. He was so cute and innocent, except when he cried, which was a lot. Meanwhile, there were shepherds watching over their sheep and llamas in their field. They were shocked when an angel appeared. The angel said, do not be afraid. God's son was born in Bethlehem. Hurry up and follow me. The shepherds trusted. This must be an important baby and left their sheep to follow the kind angel. One night, wise men who were basically just important guys were staying warm by a fire when an extra sparkly star appeared. They knew baby Jesus, the special king, must have been born and followed the star to the east. Each wise man brought a gift to baby Jesus. Then everyone celebrated with a delicious atapi or feast. Not only did we share amazing food, but the knowledge that Jesus was so miracle. Holding my precious baby, it was hard to imagine that Jesus would perform miracles and save the world. I will forever ponder these things and store them in my heart. Have fun. So those are Bolivian boys and girls who love Jesus and shared the story with us in a fun way, huh? So what's what when we say Merry Christmas? Who who? Why are we merry? Why are we happy? Because Christ was born, right? Mary gave birth to Jesus, the Savior of the world, right? God with us. 
That's a really great celebration. So this Christmas season, I am excited to have family and friends with me. I'm excited to see all of you here. And tonight at 7 o'clock, I'll be the innkeeper, uh, first person innkeeper. I'll try and share the story of the birth of Jesus from an innkeeper's job. You know the guy that had no room? Well, we've got to have room in our hearts for Jesus, right? Right, I do, and you do too. So let's, let's pray. And then the Sunday school teachers are right there. Thank you, Sunday school teachers. And you'll have a great time down the hallway, okay? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the boys and girls in Bolivia who know you and love you. And I'm grateful that they made the movie with Compassion International to share with us this morning. Thank you, Father, for their love for Jesus, for our love for Jesus, too. Lord, thank you that Jesus is not only here, but in Bolivia and all around the world. You are God, and you can do anything and everything that's good and right and true, because that's who you are. And I pray now that these boys and girls here, this wonderful time of Christmas, would truly find your love filling their hearts and sharing that love with each other. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, your teachers are there. Head on down the hallway for Sunday's Children's Church and enjoy yourselves. And we'll let our duet share with us the gift of music. Tamara and I are going to play Coventry Carol. It was a 16th century carol, and this one is arranged by Deborah Calkins.
I almost wish you had an overhead camera so you could actually see the shifting around and all that. Thank you. Music. It's a gift from God. I'd like to invite us to, uh, if you want, you can look at your outlines. There's no text we're going to have to read exactly until just for a little bit yet, but we're going to look at 1 John, or not 1 John, John chapter 1, rather. Um, we, we know very well maybe the shepherd's story or the uh, wise men's story and all that. There are four Gospels, though, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and John's got a rather unique way of talking about the birth of Christ and the meaning, and I hope that uh, the Holy Spirit will touch all of our hearts. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for worship, that we can express our love for you in song and in presence here. Our hearts can be lifted up to you. Our minds can be filled with your presence. Lord, we thank you that now as we hear your word, the description that John gives us of Jesus, that, dear God, your Holy Spirit would help us to really appreciate it and that you would bring this home to our hearts and minds, that it would truly be transformative for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Christmas really is a, a special time of year. We don't decorate the sanctuary like this uh, for Easter necessarily, do we? We have some things, but Easter is really every Sunday. Christmas, though, hits that Advent season, which means the anticipation of the birth of Jesus, and it's a special four-week period of time, and we celebrate that in a big way. Lots of uniquenesses. Radio 97.1 started playing Christmas songs weeks ago. And it's sad that right after Christmas, they just cut it right off, um, like the spirit stopped or something. I occasionally listen to Christmas carols during the year. I find that it puts me in a whole different space. Try that sometime and see what that does. It's a unique experience. We enjoyed our table carol dinner where we sing Christmas and secular songs, sacred and secular songs, and have a nice dinner together and enjoy each other's company. And we'll never forget the 12 days of Christmas that's usually a, a big deal, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, that's our once-a-year event as well. So obviously Christmas is a big deal. Christmas lights go up when the sunlight goes down. Aren't we glad? And there's a lot of neat lights out there. Family gets together, special food, and opening presents, and sharing life together. And We hope that that's your case and that you're not feeling lonely and blue this year. Uh, many children have written Santa Claus over the years, and I've got a book of old letters in my office, and some of them are really touching, like from 1901. My dear Santa Claus, sometimes I'm good and sometimes I'm naughty, but if you'll excuse me, I'll be much better. Please send me a box of turtles and ducks and other little things inside the box, too. And I'd like a little writing desk as I'm learning to write. Signed, Donald. Now, that might explain the ducks, but I can't figure out the turtles, right? And then sometimes our expectations for Christmas can be a little bit over the top. Another letter went like this. At the start of the new year, a little girl told her dad she'd love to have a baby brother for Christmas. She was so happy when her mom came home from the hospital later that year on Christmas Eve with a baby boy in her arms. Very sweet. A few days later, she told her dad... If it wouldn't be too uncomfortable for mom, I'd really like a pony next year. <laughs> Okie dokie. See how that worked out. I'm sure mom would have protests. You know, more has been written about Jesus in the first century than anyone else. That's a really peculiar thing, isn't it? 
Jesus, not a politician, not a company president, not a landowner, not a military power, Jesus, sandals, robe, living off of the, the generosity of others as they knew him and loved him and supported his ministry, wandered around all over the place, was hounded on several occasions, was threatened with death with several occasions. But it's really interesting that this person, this Jesus, who lived this way with nothing in the eyes of the world that would have singled him out as someone special in that human way, has more written about him than anyone else. And I, I've got some names that, from that time period that have less written about them than Jesus. For instance, Antonia Minor was a noblewoman, a Roman noblewoman, the mother of Germanicus and Claudius, one of the founders of Rome. Arminius, a German military leader. Julius Caesar, Augustus, Tiberius, Caligula, Nero, Titus, Ban Chao, a Chinese general, general and Bodica, a Celtic Britain leader. It's interesting. There are many people that did a lot of amazing things like Julius Caesar and others, but there's more written in the first century about Jesus than anybody. That's a unique feature, and you've got to ask yourself, why? I was wondering, too, if a Presbyterian ever wrote a famous Christmas carol. I mean, being Presbyterian all my life, and Presbyterian doesn't mean anything, it just means elders. That's how we operate, but we're very much biblically centered in the evangelical wing of it. And in this context, I went online and I googled, did any Presbyterian write a Christmas hymn? And no. No. In fact, I found out some very weird stuff. The Presbyterians come from Scotland, John Knox and all that, and in Scotland they were just a little bit irritated with Christmas being celebrated. They had a Viking past where the Vikings brought the uh, Yule log with this, uh, the winter solstice, and they also brought mistletoe, and mistletoe has nothing to do with smooching and love. Mistletoe had to do with the Norse gods who valued life. Someone had died, and the mistletoe reminded them of the value of life. And so the Christian community, with that kind of background, plus how the religious atmosphere at the time was celebrating Christmas in a very different sort of way, the Scottish Presbyterians outlawed Christmas celebrations in the 1640s. And they didn't restore the celebration of Christmas in Scotland until 1958. That was the year I was born, but I suspect I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> right? These are the things that came out and surprised me a lot. In fact, I'm sorry, they, the Bible, they, yeah, 1640 they outlawed it, came back in 1958. American Presbyterians okayed it in 1920 or 1920s. And Part of that reasoning was they weren't sure if the Bible said we should celebrate it or not. And if you look through the Bible, it doesn't say anywhere that we're supposed to celebrate Christmas, but it also doesn't say we shouldn't. And I think there's every reason why we do and why it's such a great celebration. Because it's all about Emmanuel. It's all about the birth of Jesus, God with us. Who couldn't celebrate that? So I'm sorry for our Presbyterian ancestry, um, but we got over it somehow after 400 years nearly. And uh, here we are today 
celebrating and enjoying Christmas together, and I, I for one, am very, very glad. John's gospel doesn't start off with shepherds in the fields. John's gospel doesn't start off with the wise men coming from the east. John starts off with the very nature and work of Jesus. And I hope that sometime this week you'll look over the first several verses in John's gospel because it says so much more than I can share this morning, but I want to highlight at least some of it for us today. Verses 1 through 4 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men, all of us. So who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? That's what John wants us to understand right away. Mark's gospel has its own beginning, and it just starts off with a bang. Mark leaves no doubt about where the gospel of Mark is headed. He starts off this way. The beginning of the gospel, or the good news, about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Christ, by the way, is not his last name. Nobody had last names until about the 1500s. So you were known by either where you were born or the occupation you had. In this case, he's Jesus the Christ, or Jesus Christ. He's the Savior. He's the Messiah. That's what Christ means. It's what he accomplished for us. So it's not about a cute baby, although Jesus was no doubt cute, I'm sure. Um, who knows? Yeah, it's only the polite thing to say, right? Um, cute baby in the manger, but more than that, he's the Son of God, Emmanuel, the Lord with us. So John's Gospel says, in the beginning, and then he starts to describe for us this Jesus. Now, in the beginning doesn't mean at the start of creation, Jesus showed up. What he's saying is, at the begetting of the beginning, there's Jesus. Jesus is the one that began all of creation. That's what John's Gospel says. He, and he describes him in the only way that you could. Before there was space and time and matter, there was no time, there was no space, and there was no material anything. We cannot fathom what that would look like because it has no look. It has no materiality to it. You might imagine darkness, but it's not even darkness because there's no space, there's no thing, there's no time. So God has no beginning because there's no time. God is a spirit without a material body. That's the only possibility that could exist. So we know that God is spirit, and that's what John does. He says, in the beginning, at the beginning of all space, time, and matter, there's the Word. That's how he describes Jesus right at the start, the Word. It's John's way of helping us understand what is indescribable in describable terms that we can appreciate. And what do words do? Words convey what's in our mind, our thoughts. That's one way to look at it. It's very complicated in the Greek in terms of the philosophical breadth of it, but 
Simply put, words convey the will, the mind, the intention, so that others can understand and appreciate what's going on in your head. They don't have to read your mind. So in the beginning is the conveyor of God's will, God's mind, God's purpose. And Jesus is the conveyor of it, the word, so that we could understand God and that we would know his will and purpose for us. So in the beginning, who made everything? Jesus made everything. That's what John's gospel says. Through him, all things were made. Now that tells us Jesus was never made because he made all things. He can't make himself. All things are inclusive of everything. So he pre-existed all that exists and that we know and take for granted today. And nothing has been made that he didn't make. And Paul says the same thing in Colossians. In chapter 1, he's the image of the invisible God. He's God with us. By him, all things were created. So when you read Genesis chapters 1 and 2, in the beginning God said, let there be light and such, this is the, the word speaking. This is Jesus speaking. That's what Paul and John's Gospels tell us, that he's the creator. And that we thank our, our Lord for our very lives that God has made us. So Jesus conveys through creation itself, without the Bible, Jesus conveys the word, the nature and the purposes of God to a great extent, in a general sense, if we're willing to step back and really think and ponder why we exist and why we're here and what this world's all about and the extent of the universe, there's a lot that we could know about God. Being Christmas Eve, you know, you just have to say, General creation is just pregnant with meaning, right? Sorry, puns are my favorite flavor today. So what do we know from creation? What can we know without the Bible at all? Well, we know several things. One is God must be spirit. That's the only possible thing that could exist before space, time, and matter. God has to be spirit. We know that he's omnipotent, that there's all the power in the Lord to create what we have here today all things. We know that he's beyond time because there was no time before creation, but we know that he's involved in time, that he made all things. We know that he's omniscient. He knows everything. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the encyclopedia of all things. God knows all things. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. We know that there's order in the universe, math and such, so we know that God is logical. We also know that disorder and chaos in the Bible is called sin, which is not uh, agreeable to God's ordering the universe. God is also ethical. Truth is inescapable. We know that. The simplest question to ask, if somebody says, I don't believe there's any real absolute truth, just say, do you believe that? Absolutely. You're done. You don't have to explain it. Do you believe there is no absolute truth? Absolutely. If they say yes, then they believe in absolute truth. If they say no, then we've got a bigger problem. Do you believe in absolute truth? Absolutely. No, I don't. Do you believe that's absolutely true? No, I don't. Wait a minute. Yes, I do. There's no escaping absolute truth as a fact just by that one simple question. That says a lot about God, too, that there's absolute truth out there. Someone once said, Whenever you say there's evil, 
we're also saying there is good, or you wouldn't even know what evil was. When you affirm goodness, you're able to base it on a moral law to tell the difference between good and evil. And when you admit to a moral law that you base good and evil on, that you can recognize good and evil, then you have to posit a moral lawgiver. It had to come from somewhere, and that somewhere is the Word, God, revealing Himself to us. So in summary, Jesus was with God before any space, time, or matter existed. Jesus is God. He was with God and is God. And those words are carefully chosen by John. Jesus created everything that exists that's good, including angels, etc. He didn't create evil, though, by the way. What is evil? It's the absence of goodness. It's twisting the truth. This is what evil is, and God doesn't make that. That's a corruption or an absence of what's good. And then inherent in Jesus is life itself. Jesus is the life. He breathed life into Adam. He breathes life into all of us who are alive. We're grateful for this life and the life to come. And without the word, no life would exist. He is life itself. You know, you've got to ask yourself, why is there something instead of nothing? Without God, there's no answer. Why is there life instead of no life? Without God, there is no answer. You've got to have the word, and the word is Jesus. That's what John says. It's the only thing, the only one, that makes any sense of what we see and where we're at and that there's life today. And that life is in Jesus. Good words. So what did he do? What did Jesus do? Well, John's 14th verse says this. The word became flesh. What had been spirit had become material for our sake. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. We've seen it. The glory of the one and only, John says, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Jesus' creation gives us general insights into the nature of God, but Jesus being with us gives us even more specific. When he says the word became flesh, he's talking about the incarnation. He's talking about the baby in the manger, that God would humble himself and be born into a manger to be with us like that is a very special gift. And I know that some, some folks might think, well, I can't imagine God doing that, but then you have to ask just two questions. Could God do that? And then the second question is, would God do that? If we are separated from God by our sins, by the things that God is not for but opposed to, if we're separated from God by those things, then would God choose to save us? Well, the reading for the candles says God is love, and that love always seeks the good of those that God is loving on. And to save us means our sins need to be forgiven, and so Jesus would come out of God's love to save us. Could God do this? Sure, God is God, beyond time but in time, and always on time to save us. That's the gift that we have in the birth of Jesus. And Isaiah the prophet, 700 years before, prophesied that Jesus would be born unique and very, very special. Isaiah 7:14, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, and Emmanuel means God with us. 
700 years before the birth of Jesus. And I'm telling you what, do you think that they were just a little bit ignorant and they didn't know that virgins didn't have babies? They knew that. This is a miracle birth, a miracle experience where Jesus is fully human, born of a woman, but also fully God, divinely created, or in that womb, the physical body, Jesus with us. He'd always existed. Now he's with us in a special way. That's the gift of Emmanuel. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. That's why there's more written about Jesus in the first century than anyone else. It's because he's different. He is unique. He's the only one that came from God and the only one that saves us by an act of God so that we don't have to save ourselves. The shortest, if somebody would say, what's the difference between Christian faith and all the world's religions, because there are many, is just this singular thing. Christian faith, rooted in the Scriptures, the Bible, the Bible tells us that we're saved by an act of God and no actions of our own. We're saved by God's grace. And through faith, we experience that grace. That's a free gift. Today, with, with the Christmas Eve celebration, you know, we've got some presents hiding along the walls, under our bed, in the closet, here, there, and everywhere, and eventually someone's going to get that gift. At the Martin House, we don't charge. We don't say, here's your gift, that'll be $5. We say, here you are. We went and bought some meat for our, our meal the other day, and, and Jenny almost called me on the phone when she was at the checkout stand. She said, Good grief, it costs how much? And I joked with her and I said, well, we're going to be charging the relatives for Christmas dinner then. That's just how it's going to be. Um, but no, we won't because we love them and we want to feed them and we want to love on them in a way that shows that we care and that we're there. And so we've already got a nice meal set up for today. We're going to make cinnamon rolls tomorrow morning. Nobody's going to have to pay us for this. We're just doing it gratis because that's what grace is. Grace is a free gift. And Christmas, why Christmas? Because when we exchange gifts and we share food in our homes and our warmth and our love and our cards and whatever else the Lord puts on our hearts, these are expressions of grace. Grace. It's God's grace expressed in a way that we can understand and appreciate. And that baby in the manger is an expression, too, of God's grace freely given for us. His death on the cross to take away our sins, as the Bible would say all of our sins were put on him, and through faith, then, that becomes an active agent in our lives. It's like it, it becomes real. It is real. And God forgives us our sins and makes us right so that we can be loving God and receiving his love and loving each other without worrying about what we owe God. We don't owe God anything for our salvation. We owe only love and a debt of gratitude. And that drives us for the good and not for our own self-preservation. It's a good gift. It's Christmas. Why Christmas? It's a great expression of grace. And it celebrates the birth of Jesus, our Savior. So who is this Jesus that John's describing? Well, he says he came full of grace and truth. A free gift given to us by God. 
You don't have to earn it. You don't have to crawl on your knees. You don't have to beg. You don't have to worry. It's a wonderful experience of God's love that we can enjoy today. The opposite of grace, how many of you have seen the TV show The Office? Does that remind you of your workplace, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I just think there's a weirdest show ever. It's a very odd one. It's very uniquely done. Um, there's one scene where it's the ungrace, the opposite of grace, that's at work. And I'll just describe it for you. There's two co-workers, Dwight and Andy. And uh, Dwight came up with a great idea that if he gave away bagels to his co-workers and someone took one, he would simply smile and say, now you owe me one. Well... He's planning to cash in on those favors later. He just figures he's like money in the bank. He'll collect some other time when it's to his own advantage. However, Andy, his co-worker, insisted on replying right away. And he would outdo Dwight in the giving, so now Dwight owed him. And pretty soon the office is going bonkers trying to figure out who, who owes who, what, and how much, and how much more. And there was just this one-upmanship to try and create a debt of obligation. And that is not grace. But I think sometimes we might imagine that God's like that. I mean, God gave us Jesus Christ, now we owe him, and boy, we're never going to pay it off, and we've got to slave away, and it's a bunch of duty and obligations, and it's not. Just keep in mind the Christmas gifts. You don't owe them anything. Maybe you give them a hug, but you didn't owe them a hug. You love them. You're grateful. Maybe you send them a thank you card. Maybe you call them on the phone. Maybe you say, I love you. But that is not an obligation or a duty. It's just love and gratitude and thanks. That's what it means to worship God. That's what we're doing this morning. It's a free gift that we've been given, and we're just grateful. And then he also says, full of truth, God's truth. We can just trust him. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Because it's only by that free gift that our sins are lifted off and we can be made right with God and have eternal life. And Jesus says, you can trust me. You can trust me with all that I'm telling you. So he died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Those sins were left in my imagination and the way I think of it is when he was buried, those sins were buried with him. But when he rose from the grave, those sins were left where they belong. Not to rise up. He's freed and so are we. Ephesians 2, 4 to 5, 8 and 9. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. Praise the Lord. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. We didn't do it. It's a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. Years ago, Jenny and I were in an elevator. We were with mom visiting relatives. I think we are in Montana, and we were at a, like a little seminar event. And in the elevator, it stopped, and all the power went out. And it was pitch black in that elevator. And it was a little bit warm. And I'm not a claustrophobic person, but I felt claustrophobia coming over me pretty rapidly. And the emergency bell didn't work because there's no electricity. And the emergency lights didn't work because there weren't any. I don't trust elevators like that anymore. 
cell phones are super handy, but in the middle of the dark and the shock of the event, we just sat there in the dark kind of wondering, like, well, I wonder how long this is going to take. And it seemed to take a long time. No noise, no shouts of, everybody okay in there? Anybody stuck in the elevator? Nothing. So finally we remembered we had our cell phones. You know how the brain kind of seizes up in the midst of a bit of a minor panic? So we're, oh, I got the cell phone. We flipped it open, and there's light. And it's like, okay, good, good. Now, that felt so much better to have a little light in the dark elevator. But then we realized we couldn't remember the name of the hotel we were in and the front desk and all that stuff. And how do we call But We can't remember where we're at. So we dialed 911. And the fire department was notified. And in the distance, after several minutes, we could hear the sirens coming down the road to save us. And eventually the door opened, and I can't remember if we had to step up or step down, but we weren't even with any floor. And we finally were clambering out, and I was a little bit upset with the office staff that they would never think to imagine that any of their guests would be stuck in an elevator in the dark with a power outage. And they all apologized because not a single one of them had thought about that. Well, why do I tell the story? Because the day will come where the darkness closes in, and it's called death, and there's no way out, and there's no light unless God provides it. And at first, maybe we don't even realize there's a light to be had. But there is, and God has already given it to us. Now, in our case, it was literally the cell phones to get us out of the elevator, but the light of the world is Jesus. And if we want to dispel the darkness, and we want to bring real hope in this world, if we don't want to let the news wipe us out and drag us down and make us grumpy, if we want to experience the love of Jesus in a time when maybe we've lost a loved one, if we want to feel encouraged, then trust that the light of Jesus Christ is already lit and that we don't have to get ourselves out of the elevator. There's a fire department, so to speak, and that's Jesus who comes to rescue us. He's our Savior, the Messiah. Straight out of Genesis chapter 3, the main point of the entire Bible from start to finish is Jesus. He's our Savior. And if you're feeling trapped in this world, like, well, I don't know, this world's awfully rough. I've had a hard time. I've lost a loved one this year. I've struggled with my economy. I'm not sure how it's going to go. I'm feeling lonely or blue. I mean, don't we sometimes get a little blue or feel a little flat, you know? Sometimes we do. Jesus is right there with us. We're not alone. And Jesus is the light that leads us to safety. He's the one that lifts us out of that elevator. He's the one that brings us into life. He's the one that frees us. And there's so much in that elevator experience that, to me, ties into my, my spiritual walk with Jesus. Life can be hard but it's also full of wonder. How many of you have seen some beautiful sunrises or sunsets lately? Some gorgeous ones. I tend to wake up early. I'm getting older, so I can't sleep in. Don't know how that works. But about 6, 6.30, the Martin family's crawling around out of bed and wishing we could go back to sleep. Sometimes 5 o'clock, sometimes 4.30, sometimes 3.30. Okay, it happens. But, you know, I'm starting to realize that one of the wonders of getting up early is to see that beautiful sunrise when the sky is just amazing. God is an excellent artist, and he's made all of you wonderful works of art. And when we look at each other, what do we see? 
the hand of God, our creator, Jesus Christ, the one who made us and doesn't leave us in the dark, but has shown us the light and life, and it's all in him. And it's a gift that you don't have to pay for. Just have faith. That means trust. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the best Christmas present ever. Really, truly. The things that we open up, I mean, sometimes the little guys love the boxes more than what's inside. Sometimes the wrapping paper is really amazing. We want to save it. Sometimes the cards are super impressive and just amaze us, Lord God, with their beauty and what they say. Thank you, Father, for hugs, warmth. Thank you for family and friends. Thank you for the churches around the world. Thank you for our brothers and sisters in Bolivia and elsewhere. Thank you, Father, for eternal life through faith in Jesus. Thank you that we don't have to pay for it. We don't, we don't have to make it happen. We don't have to earn it. It's free, and that is the best gift of Christmas ever, ever could be. Thank you for loving each one of us, even when we're not feeling terribly lovable. Thank you that your love is steadfast, eternal, loyal, deep. Nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. And we thank you, God, for this, that we are saved through faith by your grace. And if anybody here this morning wants to say yes, well, this could be a great time to do that. Only the Holy Spirit would know what's on your heart and mind. But if you don't know what to say, just say, Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you, Father, for the future that lies ahead that Jesus provides. Thank you for eternal life. Thank you, God, that now your love can fill my heart and that your love, I pray, will flow over and through me that others can enjoy your love too. Thank you, Lord. May your light shine in this world for you. May others find you today around the world with me. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing. I think we're about ready. <laughs> this is a song we introdu introduced to y'all last year, and it's just a fun, uh, celebrated song of this very day. Here we go. La 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 la. There's a flame in my heart that will never grow cold. Today is the Savior's day. Though the path may be covered in virgin white snow, the starlight will guide the way. And the angels are singing, we are not alone. Today is the Savior's day.
City, why not? You know, and Depot Bay. That's really great. Uh, would you join me in a, just a closing prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your love for us this morning. Thank you so much for Christmas. Lord, thank you for all the smiles and laughter and joy. Thank you, God, for the presents that we share and the food that we share and the hugs and the warmth, the camaraderie we share. Lord, we pray for all the world around us in the midst of all the Christmas lights, Christmas goodies, calories. Yeah, calories. Lord God, it is a blessing from above that we know you, that you knew us first, that you called us to believe, that your love shone in our hearts before we even knew. And Lord, thank you that we don't owe you our salvation. We love you for our salvation. And we love each other. Thank you for family and friends. Thank you for the church. Thank you, God, for this special meaning and purpose because it's a person. It is Jesus. And we look forward, Lord, for the wonders that you'll bring us, the wonders you've brought, and the future is in your hands. Thank you, Lord. Love on us all, I pray. May your spirit truly fill our hearts and minds. Joy is yours, and it's been given, and we've received it. May it fill us to the full. In Jesus' name, amen. And may the love of the Father and the sacrificial grace of our Lord, our Savior, Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. And all God's Christmas people could say, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. No coffee hour today. Have fun. Stay right here if you want to. Enjoy. Visit. Thank you for coming. God bless you. Amen.